Well, we're in Acts chapter number 11 tonight, and so we have moved to a new chapter in the book of Acts, and we are going to, at this, this chapter, or at least the start of this chapter in Acts, is laid out a little bit unique because it is a repeat of what we already heard in chapter number 10. So as we're going through the message this morning, you're going to say this almost just sounds like we're just repeating everything that we already learned from chapter 10, which is exactly the case. That's what takes place here because Peter is going over. The Bible even uses the word rehearsing. He is rehearsing all of the things that he has experienced in chapter number 10. And you may be mindful as we've gone through these last few chapters here and now moving on to chapter number 11. In chapter number 9, remember that was the conversion of Saul. He's later going to become, his name will be changed to Paul. And he was gloriously converted on the way to Damascus. And then the scene kind of changed a little bit. Because we went away from the life of Saul for a little while. And then the Bible started talking about the ministry of Peter. And in chapter number 9 and chapter number 10, God has worked in the life of Peter. And here's the way that God has in his unique way and in his sovereign way, he has worked in the life of Peter. He has helped Peter to realize that the Gentiles could also be saved. The gospel is not open to just the Jews. The gospel is open to the Gentiles as well. And really God worked in Peter's life in three different locations. In the middle of chapter number 9, we see him in a place called Lydda. And in that place called Lydda, God uses him in a great way and some, uh, some revival starts to break out. Well, from there, the Bible tells us after he, he comes to this paralyzed man there named Aeneas in the middle of chapter number 9 and he's in the city of Lydda, this revival starts to break out. Well, right in the midst of this revival in the city of Lydda, you might remember he was called down to the city of Joppa. Remember those that were in Joppa found out that he was nearby because remember there was a lady named Tabitha. She had a, another name as well, Dorcas in the Bible. She had, had died. And they thought that the only way that, she could, uh, that, that, that they could uh, find the comfort that they needed is if they would send for Peter. Well, the Bible says they sent for Peter and God through his Holy Spirit's working in the life of Peter enabled Peter to perform a miracle. It wasn't Peter that did it in his power now. It was God that did the miracle. But he enabled Peter to be his human instrument. To see this miracle take place, Tabitha is given life again. And she's brought back from the dead. And then, he, remember, he tarries in Joppa for a little bit with a man named Simon who was a tanner. Well, God was setting all that up. God wasn't making a mistake. Because then we moved into chapter number 10. And while a man named Cornelius was receiving a vision from the Lord, or receiving, excuse me, a message from an angel of the Lord, the Bible tells us that Peter in his house in Joppa, Cornelius was in Caesarea, and uh, uh, Peter, while he's in that house, Simon the Tanner's house in Joppa, the Bible tells us he falls into a trance, and he sees that, uh, that sheet lowered, and it's attached with four corners with all kinds of animals on it that Peter, again, because of Jewish Tradition and law would have considered to be unclean, and God told him to take and eat those animals. And he said, well, I can't do that. Those are unclean. And uh, the Lord gives him that rebuke. And again, we're going to see this again in chapter number 11. And so he is, it's God's way of letting him know that uh, that which I have called clean, don't call unclean. The Gentiles are able to receive the gospel just like the Jews. And then Peter went to Cornelius' house. Cornelius was saved. Cornelius was baptized, and the Bible tells us a great, wonderful work of the Lord uh, takes place there in Caesarea. 
Well, the Bible tells us as God is working in chapter 9 and chapter 10 in the heart of Peter to help him realize that the Gentiles could receive the gospel just like the Jews were, he is now going to return to Jerusalem in chapter 11. So here's where we're at in chapter 11. He's going to return to the city of Jerusalem, and the Bible tells us as soon as he gets there, he is confronted by the Jewish believers. It doesn't take them long to confront Peter about the fact that he has been spending time with the Gentiles. Remember what the Jewish people thought of the Gentiles? They thought of them as dogs. As a matter of fact, they were uh, so distant from the Gentile people that even if they would come in contact with them or uh, step foot in their house, remember they had to go through almost a a ritual of cleaning themselves uh, to to, uh, make themselves cleaner after being in the presence or the household of a Gentile individual. And so they thought of them as dogs. And so they confronted Peter immediately when he gets back to Jerusalem. And the Bible even tells us this, that they hear about this before Peter even gets back to Jerusalem. So before he even gets back there, they hear the message. Now, in, what amazes us about that is because in the Bible days, obviously messages would not travel like they would today. They didn't have the ability to have a text message or send an email or make a phone call or do something through social media. They didn't have the ability to do all of that. So God allowed somehow that message to get to Jerusalem and they heard about all the things that were going on in Caesarea and how these Gentiles had come to know Christ as their Savior and how that Peter had been spending some time with them. So notice what it says in verse number 1 and verse number 2 to start off this this evening in chapter number 11. It says, And the apostles and brethren that were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. So they hear this message. They hear what has happened. And then notice what the Bible says in verse number 2. And when Peter was come up to Jerusalem, they that were of the circumcision contended with him. So now here's these Jewish Jewish believers that are there as Peter comes back to the city of Jerusalem. And the Bible tells us they are contending with Peter. Now that word contended in verse number 2 has the idea of separating oneself in a hostile type spirit. The Bible is talking about how they want to almost distance themselves from Peter in the way that they're confronting him with, with a very hostile type spirit. They're opposing him. They're striving with him with great dispute is what that word contended mean there. It would have the simple meaning. We could say it this way. They're arguing with him. Man, they're upset about what they have heard about the Gentiles and those that were believing the word of God. Now, here's the way I would describe this. I think you would describe it the same way. Not a very warm, friendly welcome home, right? I mean, here's Peter from the city of Jerusalem. He's gone to these various cities. He saw great revival break out. You would think you would come back to a group of Christians. They'd be excited about it, right? Would you agree with that? But not a warm, friendly greeting, not a warm, friendly welcome home to uh, Peter as he comes back to the city of Jerusalem. But notice what the Bible says happens in verse number 3. It says, saying, so now they begin to speak to Peter. So not only are they contending with him, they're arguing with him, but the Bible says they're saying something. Look at verse number 3. Thou wentest in to men uncircumcised and didst eat with them. Notice he says they, they, begin to, uh, they begin to attack Peter for what he has done. They're, they're disturbed with Peter's interaction with the Gentiles. And they said, you've gone into these people that are uncircumcised, these Gentile individuals. But not only have you done that, 
but you've also spent time eating with them as well. They are disturbed and uh, upset about the interaction that Peter has had with the Gentile individuals. But notice the way Peter answers. I love verse number 4. And then when we get done reading verse number 4, we're going to break the, the rehearsal that Peter gives in the following verses here. We're going to break it into three different sections. And I hope to share with you some truths in those three different sections tonight as we preach from this passage. Look at verse number 4 if you would. But Peter rehearsed the matter. Now, what would we mean when we say the matter? Well, Peter's going to rehearse what has taken place with these Gentile individuals. And the Bible tells us he's going to do it in a specific way. Would you look back at verse number 4 for a moment? From the beginning, and expounded it by order unto them. So the Bible tells us that now Peter is going to rehearse the events that have unfolded as a result of God's plan in reaching the Gentile people. These were things that were not accidents. God reaching the gospel with the Gentile people was not an accident. And Peter says, well, let me, before you deny all of this, before you argue all of this, before you get upset with me, he said, I'm going to rehearse the matter with you, and I'm going to describe to you the events of how God unfolded his plan in reaching the Gentile people with the gospel, and he wants to explain it in the order that it happened. Did you notice he says that? I want to, I want to, I want to tell you by order. So I'm going to give you the order in the exact way that it happened as I had opportunity to be used to share the gospel with the Gentile people. Now, some might ask the question here as Peter begins to go into rehearsing what happened in the, as he went to the household of Cornelius. Some might ask the question, why is it that God repeats this? I mean, in chapter number 10, we see what happens. God lays it out for us very clearly. Why would God choose to take the words that Peter gives in chapter number 11 and repeat those words? Well, someone once said this, and I think it, it, it applies to this passage of Scripture for sure. If we're asking that question, why would God repeat this? Someone once said this, if God says it, it's important. But then they went on to say this, if God repeats it, then it's for emphasis. God has a reason for all of this. And we know that God doesn't put any verse in Scripture by accident. So you might wonder as we go through here tonight, wait a minute, this is the exact same thing we've heard the last few Sunday nights in chapter number 10. If God says that it's important, and if he makes a choice to repeat it, then he is putting an emphasis on that. So can I say this, and I know I've said it already many times when we were dealing with chapter number 10, that this is an important event that is affecting the future of the church. And because this event is so important, think about some of the events that have already taken place in Acts. I'd say Acts chapter 2 was a pretty significant event. The day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came and filled the lives of those believers and they were able to see 3,000 people saved and baptized and added to the church. I'd say Acts chapter 2 was a pretty important uh, event and a pretty important chapter. Then we get to Acts chapter 9. I think Acts chapter 9 is a pretty important chapter. Because that's when Saul is walking on the road to Damascus and he is gloriously saved as that light shines and the Lord begins to speak to him. But I think when we get to Acts chapter 10, that's an important chapter as well. Because now we see that God abolishes, again, the distinction 
between the Jews and the Gentiles and he lets us know that the gospel and he let the early church know and the apostles know that the church is going to be built not just on Jewish Christians but it's going to be Gentile Christians that come to know the Lord as their Savior as well because the gospel is for Jews, the gospel is for Gentiles as well and God enables Peter to repeat the scene that took place in chapter number 10 and I do not believe God made a mistake in rehearsing this through Peter again a second time in chapter number 11. Now let's break this into three different sections tonight because there's a couple thoughts I want to give you in each of these three little sections that, that Peter speaks of here in chapter number 11. Let's start with verse number 5 and verse number 6. I want us to notice section number 1 here is going to deal with uh, verse 5 through verse number 10. And from verse 5 through 6, we see starting with a vision that Peter begins to talk about. So Peter talks about the vision. Now, what was the vision that was given to Peter? Look with me, if you would, at verse number 5. He says, it was in the, I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision. So here's Peter, and he begins to speak about this vision. Now, remember, these are gonna, this is going to be repeated, because we saw it in chapter 10. It's going to be repeated, but notice the vision. He said, a certain vessel descend." As it had been a great sheet let down from heaven by four corners, and it came even to me. Upon the which, when I had fastened mine eyes, I considered and saw four-footed beasts of the earth, and wild beasts, and creeping things, and fowls of the air. Now let's pause just for a moment before we move away from the vision. And notice a word in verse number 6. Notice a word in verse number 6. Look at me, with me, if you would, again at verse number 6. Upon the which, when I had fastened my eyes, mine eyes, excuse me, he said, I considered. The word considered has the idea of fixing my eyes or fixing my mind upon something. Peter's eyes, his mind are fixed upon those animals. This is the vision that God gives to him. But number two in the first little section of this story that Peter is rehearsing to the Jewish believers Number two, I want you to notice the voice. So we saw the vision, but number two, let's notice the voice. Starting in verse number seven, notice what he says. He says, and I heard a voice saying unto me, arise, Peter, slay and eat. Now we know this is the voice of the Lord. Verse number seven, I want to pull out a, a thought here tonight. These, verse number seven, these are the instructions that God gives to Peter. So here's the voice that Peter is hearing. And this voice is given instructions. Hey, can I say this? I guess by a side thought here this evening, I hope maybe it will encourage us tonight. When God speaks to our heart and he gives instructions, let's listen, right? Notice what happens in verse number 8. He says, but I said, not so, Lord, for nothing common or unclean hath at any time entered into my mouth. In verse number 8, we see a hesitation. So in verse 7, we see God's instructions, but in verse number 8, we see Peter's hesitation. Peter is hesitating. Hey, wait a minute. These are things according to my Jewish custom and Jewish law that I've always thought was to be unclean, that I was not to eat these. As a matter of fact, he even described it this way. These things have never even been in my mouth before. So the Lord gives instruction. Peter has some hesitation. Well, look with me if you would at verse number 9. God's voice speaks again, but the voice answered me again from heaven. What God hath cleansed, that call not thou common. Again, we understand this because we've already rehearsed all of this. We've already gone through it all in chapter number 10. This is, again, God's way 
of instructing Peter that the gospel is not just open for the Jewish people, but it's for open to open to the Gentile people. That would, those people that you would consider common, people that you would consider unclean, but God doesn't look at them as common people. God doesn't look at them as unclean people. God looks at the Gentiles as people that can receive the gospel. So we saw God's instructions to Peter, and then we saw Peter's hesitation, but then we notice God gives a rebuke to Peter. He says, if God has called it clean, don't you dare call it common. Now, the Bible says something interesting in verse number 10. Now, I know we already read it in chapter number 10, but it says this, and this was done three times, and all were drawn up again into heaven. So he experiences this three different times, God's way of trying to get a hold of the heart of Peter and the mind of Peter so that he can know that the gospel was for everyone. Now, <laughs> it was it was. It was very significant. You might, you might be asking the question now, why is it that Peter was rehearsing all of this to the Jewish believers? Would you concentrate for just a moment on why it was significant that Peter was rehearsing not only the vision that he saw, but the voice that he heard to these people? There's some reasons why he did that. Number one, it was able to give authority to the message that he was going to tell them about the Gentile believers becoming Christians, receiving the gospel. So it was going to give authority. Now, how would it give authority? Would, would, would this message be given authority because of anything Peter did? No, not because of Peter, because Peter's just human, right? Any, any message that we could give to lost sinners doesn't have power because of us. Doesn't have authority because of us. The reason why his message was significant and the reason why it gave authority when he spoke about his vision that he saw and his voice that he heard was because the orders had come from God. God was the one who had given the orders. And because God was the one that gave the orders, then that means that he was approving of Peter going to the Gentiles. Now that, would you agree with me that that holds a whole lot more weight than Peter saying to the Jewish believers, well, I felt like I should go to them. No, it holds a whole lot more weight to say, God gave the orders. And because God gave the orders and he is sovereign and he's in control of everything, that means it gave me his authority and it gave me his approval to go and speak to the Gentiles. That's section number one, but now notice section number two. So we saw verse 5 down to verse number 10. We saw the vision and we saw the voice. But now starting in verse number 11, let's notice a couple thoughts here as Peter begins to continue with these Jewish believers and tell them what happened. Look at verse number 11. And behold, immediately there were three men already come unto the house where I was, sent from Caesarea unto me. So number one, I want us to notice in this second section, number one in verse number 11, I want us to notice the men's request. Here are three men that the Bible says are standing at the door. Now, they have been sent there by, uh, from Caesarea by Cornelius because of something Cornelius has heard, and we're going to get to that in just a moment. So we see the men's request for Peter to come to the city of Caesarea so that the gospel could be given to the Gentile people. Now, look with me, if you would, at verse number 12. And we're going to notice a couple of thoughts here. Verse 12, And the Spirit bade me go with them. Notice the next two words. Do you see the next two words in verse number 12? Look down at them if you would. Verse number 12. Look at the next two words in verse number 12. And the Spirit bade me go with them. Look, look, at, look at it now. Nothing doubting. Nothing doubting. Now it would have been easy for Peter to doubt. 
Especially because, remember, those animals were animals that he had always considered unclean. He had always considered those common. It would have been easy for him to doubt or to lack faith at this moment. But the Bible says that the Holy Spirit bade me go. By the way, it's a whole lot simpler to move as a Christian when the Holy Spirit's urging you to do it, isn't it? Man, it's a whole lot, it holds a whole lot more weight. It holds a whole lot more power when you're saying, hey, God's Holy Spirit's directing me this way. God's Holy Spirit was directing him to get to the city of Caesarea. Look with me, if you would, again, at verse number, uh, verse number 12. And the Spirit bade me go with them, nothing doubting. Moreover, these six brethren accompanied me, and we entered into the man's house. Now, there's something in verse number 12 that we did not see in chapter 10. You might have noticed it. In chapter 10, the Bible tells us that men from Joppa accompany him. But did you notice in chapter 10, it never tells us how many. We just know that some men, brethren from the city of Joppa, so these were other Christians, went with him to the city of Caesarea. But the Bible doesn't tell us how many. In chapter number 11, the Bible tells us there were six men that went along with him. And they came to that house and entered into the man's house. Now, there's a couple things we see from verse number 11. Now, remember what we said about verse number 2 when we entered into the second section of this message tonight. We said, number one, the men's request... But number two, I want you to notice the Holy Spirit's prompting. Here's men that give a request for him to come to the city of Caesarea, but it's a whole lot, it holds a whole lot more weight for the Holy Spirit to bid you to go than to just have requests from three men from a, from a city that has Gentile people in it that you feel that you should not even go to. Man, it holds a whole lot of weight to have the Holy Spirit bidding you to go. And so we notice number two in verse number 12, the Holy Spirit's prompting. So the Holy Spirit led him to leave and led him to leave his comfort zone. Man, his comfort zone was to stay away from the Gentiles, right? That was his comfort zone. I'm much more comfortable when I'm not around those as we would call them dogs. The individuals that we got to clean ourselves after we've even made an encounter with or gone into their households. That's not my comfort zone. That, 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 that takes me out of my comfort zone. And the Bible says he didn't even doubt it. So not only does he move outside of his comfort zone, but he is not even doubting as he moves forward to do what the Holy Spirit bids him or prompts him to do. Oh, I think there's so many applications and there's so many wonderful truths for us. When the Holy Spirit bids us to go, let's go. And when the Holy Spirit sometimes bids us to do things that are outside of our comfort zone. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand tonight, but have you ever had the Holy Spirit bid you or prompt you to do something? You say, oh, man, that's really going to put me out of what my comfort zone is or what I'm, my personality is like. You know, maybe you've had times like that. I'll never forget, and I've told this story many times, about a time when uh, my wife's grandfather, uh, pastoring the church that I worked at for many years, and he had asked a man in the church, my wife probably remembers this story, he had asked a man in the church to lead the singing. Man, this was just a foreign concept for this man to get up and lead singing. And I know her grandfather was telling him, he said, I just feel like the Lord just wanted me to encourage you with that. And it took him a little while to do it because it was not his comfort zone. But he followed, I think, what the Holy Spirit was doing in his life. And he got up and he started leading the singing and became very good at it. God used him in a great and a mighty way. He had to come out of his comfort zone to do it. You know, maybe along your journey as a Christian, you've had to do something that's caused you to come out of your comfort zone a little bit. I mean, that's what this was for Peter. I, I, I don't want to go to the Gentile people. Uh, think back to the Old Testament story of Jonah. I don't want to go to the city of Nineveh. 
I mean, that's going to cause me to come out of what I would think is my comfort zone. That's a, that's a wicked city, the city of Nineveh. I don't want to go there. Remember, he got on that, he went to the city of Joppa and got on board that boat heading towards Tarshish. He didn't want to do what God wanted him to do. It was going to put him out of what would be comfortable for him. Oh, but let's just follow the prompting and the bidding of the Holy Spirit. No matter where he leads us and no matter where he directs us, knowing that he'll never put us in a place where he's not there to give us the help that we need and the strength that we need. He'll give us the ability to do whatever it is that he's asked for us to do. And so let's follow the prompting of the Holy Spirit. I want you to notice here the end of verse number 12. I think there's something else that's very special that we can apply to our lives. Look at what it says. And we entered into the man's house. We entered into the man's house. I think there's another thing that we see at the end of verse number 12, that when the Holy Spirit prompted them to do it, they did it immediately. They obeyed immediately. You don't see any hesitation there, do you? You don't see them asking a whole bunch of questions. Instead, they do what God has asked them to do because the Holy Spirit has bid us to do it. But then would you look with me, if you would, at verse number 13. Verse number 13. We've noticed the men's, uh, the, the men's request, and then we saw the Holy Spirit's prompting, but look at verse number 13. It says this, And he showed us how he had seen an angel in his house, now, of course, this is right after we get to the man's house, whose the man is Cornelius. He showed us how, we had had, how he had seen an angel in his house, which stood and said unto him, Send men to Joppa, and call for Simon, whose surname is Peter, who shall tell thee words, whereby thou and all thy house shall be saved. Hey, there's some words that God wants you to hear. He said to Cornelius, through this angel. So my third thought tonight is this, under section number two here, my third thought is this, not only do we see the men's request, and we saw the Holy Spirit's prompting, but we also see the angel's directions. The angel gives directions to Cornelius, and he says, I want you to send some servants. Let's pause here for a moment and think about this. God has prepared the sinners to hear the message and God has also prepared the preacher to come and bring the message. Man, God is working in this story, isn't he? I mean, there is no way this could be lined up any better. It has to be God's working. Here's sinners that are prepared to hear the gospel. Because remember, Cornelius gathers up everybody in the house. Man, he brings them all together. They have a huge church service. Because Peter's going to come and he's going to share something with us. We all want to hear it. And so they gathered everybody up and they're all ready to hear it. So the sinners were prepared to hear the message. And then the preacher was prepared to deliver the message. All because of the working of God. And then we get to section number three tonight. And we're going to close here with just a few more verses. I want you to notice verse number 15. I think there's some wonderful thoughts we see here as we bring our message to a close this evening. We've moved on to the third section here tonight now. In the first section, we saw the vision. We, saw, we, we talked about the voice. And then in that second section, we talked about how those men requested Peter to come. And then the Holy Spirit prompts him to come. And then the angels give directions. But then notice uh, number, section number three here. Look at verse number 15. I want you to notice this tonight. As he, again, rehearses this story to them in the order of the events that it took place. Look at verse 15. And as I began to speak, the Holy Ghost fell on them as on us at the beginning. Now remember, Peter's going to start preaching there, isn't he? And remember, he preached the gospel, didn't he? If you were here last Sunday night, you remember we were in Acts chapter number 10 and we talked about how he preached the gospel. What's the gospel? The death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's exactly what Peter preached. 
Now, he leaves out, in chapter 11, he leaves out the words that he says. We read those in chapter number 10. But he says, I was, I was speaking to them. And he says, and all of a sudden, the Holy Ghost fell on them. So number one, I want you to notice in verse number 15, I want us to notice the power. The power. Here is the power of the Holy Ghost that, that the Bible tells us that these Christians are now going to experience. Now, there's a reason why this happens. Because as Peter is preaching... The Bible tells us that they are coming to a place in which they're putting their faith and trust in the Lord and they're saved. They're saved. As a result of being saved, here's what happens when you get saved. When you get saved, you're indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God. It happens immediately. At the moment you trust Christ as your Savior, you are indwelt with the Holy Spirit of God. And that's what he's saying here in verse number 15. He's saying, as I began to speak, the Holy Ghost fell on them as on us at the beginning. We'll get to that in just a moment. We're talking about the Holy Spirit's power here. To indwell a Christian and then also to fill a Christian as well. So now they are indwelt with the Holy Spirit of God. And then the desire, of course, to be filled with the Holy Spirit of God. The Bible talked about that in Acts chapter number 10, how they were filled with the Holy Spirit of God. Now remember, the indwelling is a one-time event. It happens the moment we trust Jesus Christ as our Savior. We're indwelled, meaning we have all of the Holy Spirit that we will ever need at the moment we trust Christ as our Savior. But the filling, remember, the filling of the Holy Spirit is a continual thing. We need to be asking God every day to fill us with the Holy Spirit of God. Now, if you were here this morning, I preached a message about... Uh, prayers of petition. One of the prayers of petition we ought to give to the Lord every day, every day, is Lord, fill me with your spirit because that's a need individually that you have. God says he wants us to ask for these things, doesn't he? Remember we talked about this morning. He wants us to ask for these things. And one of the individual needs that you have every single day is that you would be filled with the spirit so that the flesh doesn't get in the way so that the world doesn't get in the way, the devil doesn't get in the way, and you're controlled by the Spirit instead of being controlled by your flesh. Let's ask God to fill us. And when God fills us with His Holy Spirit, we're controlled to do His work and His will in our lives. And isn't it wonderful to be filled with the Holy Spirit of God? If we're not, then that means something else is in its place, right? So let's be filled with the Holy Spirit of God so God can use us. Now, you'll notice at the end of verse number 15, when he's speaking about this power that has fallen on them from the Holy Spirit, notice this at the end. As on us at the beginning. Well, what is he referring to there? I think he's referring back to Acts chapter number 2, when the day of Pentecost takes place. And remember, they're filled with the Holy Spirit, aren't they? And that, that reminds us of what Jesus said to them before he ascended into heaven. Remember what he said to them? He said, I won't leave you comfortless but I'll give you another comforter, one of the same kind. I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. And I want you to tarry. Remember, they had to tarry in the city of Jerusalem. And then God gave them the Holy Spirit. And so he speaks of the power that was given to them because they believed and the Holy Spirit indwelled them and the Holy Spirit filled them. But now notice verse number 16. Verse number 16, let's read that together. Then remembered I the word of the Lord. So now Peter remembers. Wait a minute. God's given me his word. He's given me some instructions. And now when the Holy Spirit falls on these Gentile believers, even though I used to think they were dogs, I used to think they were unclean, I used to think they were common, it reminded me of a promise that the Lord gave me one day. And notice that promise that he says of in verse number 16. Then remembered I the word of the Lord, how that he said, John indeed baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost. 
Now, first of all, what is he talking about here? Well, he's talking about before his ascension. Remember, he had asked the apostles to tarry there in the city of Jerusalem. He was going to ascend into heaven, and then he was going to give them the power of the Holy Spirit. So our second thought today, tonight is this in section number three. We have the power, but then notice we have the promise. We have the power of the Holy Spirit. He's indwelling them. He's filling them. But then we have a promise. Peter remembers a promise that God had given him. By the way, would you take time to look at this promise yourself? Look at Acts chapter 1 if you would. Acts chapter 1, and let's look at verse 3 and verse number 4. So Acts chapter 1 and verse number 3 and verse number 4. Remember, this is when they are tarrying for the ascension of Jesus and then when the Holy Spirit's going to come upon them. In Acts chapter 1 and verse number 3, I'm sorry, verse number 4. We're going to start in verse number 4. And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, ye have heard of me. Now notice verse 5. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. Now would you turn back to Acts chapter number 11, and let's go back to the words that Jesus says here that Peter is reminded of, that promise he's reminded of. John indeed baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy, with the Holy Ghost. Now when he's talking about John, he's talking about water baptism. But when he's talking about the Holy Ghost... He's talking about a baptism of the Holy Ghost. You say, well, what does that mean? Well, what, what does that mean? I, I mean, back in Acts chapter number 1, we addressed this already. So if, if you, if you uh, uh, were not here when we studied Acts chapter number 1, or if you failed to remember it, here's what he means when he talks about the baptism of the Holy Ghost, that when you trust Christ as your Savior, you're baptized by the Holy Ghost, meaning you are placed into the family of God. You are a child of God. And that's something that cannot be taken away from you. You've been baptized into the Holy Spirit. You've been placed into the family of God. We sing that song from time to time. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. Oh, we're children of God, aren't we? When we've been baptized by the Holy Spirit or when we're saved, we're placed into the family of God. We've become a child of God. And that is the promise that Peter remembers. Wait a minute now. The power has come upon them because the Holy Ghost gave them power just like he gave to us at, at the day of Pentecost. But also God had given a promise that the Holy Spirit was going to baptize these believers or they were going to be placed into the family of God. But then notice verse number 17, which has the same idea here. Notice in verse, he, he continues it in verse number 17. He says, For as much then as God gave them the like gift as he did unto us who believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, what was I that I could withstand God? I want you to notice number three. We talked about the power, and then we talked about the promise. Number three, I want us to notice the placement. God says these Christians have been placed into the family of God, and here is what Peter was saying there in verse number 17. If God gave the Gentiles the gift of the Holy Spirit the same way he did for us, just like he did for the Jews... How could I argue with that? Here's what he's saying. He's saying, that's enough proof. That's enough proof to give me evidence of the fact that the gospel is open for Jewish people, for us, Peter's saying, to the Jewish believers. But God gave me evidence of the fact 
that because he placed the Gentiles into the family of God the same way he did for us, and he gave them the gift of the Holy Spirit, and they're indwelt with the Holy Spirit, they're filled with the Holy Spirit, then the same thing is true of the Gentile believers because of what Christ did. Now, would you take your Bible for just a moment? We're almost done here tonight. Look at Romans chapter 8, if you would. Romans chapter number 8, and this helps to establish in our mind what Peter was talking about there when he talked about being placed into the family of God because of the fact that the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. Look at Romans chapter 8, and look with me, if you would, at verse number 9. Romans chapter 8 and verse number 9. Notice it says this, But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. Now, who's he, if he's saying you are not in the flesh, but you are in the Spirit, who would he be talking to then? He'd be talking to believers, wouldn't he? He'd be talking to Christians. He'd be talking to those that are sitting here tonight that have put their faith and trust in the Lord. He's saying, you are not of the flesh, but you are of the Spirit. Now look at verse number 9 again, if you would. If so be that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. Or excuse me, dwell in you. Now go on. Now if any man have not the Spirit of God, a Spirit of Christ, excuse me, he is none of his. Now verse 10. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. Now, I think those verses speak to what we just talked about in Acts chapter 11 and verse number 17. Here's what Paul is saying. That just like God placed us into his family and he gave us the Holy Spirit to indwell us and to fill us, he did the same thing for the Gentiles. And who am I to argue that? If God gave me the proof of that, who am I to argue that these Gentile people are not believers just like you and I are, he says to the Jewish believers. So here's really what we learn from Romans chapter 8 and verse 9 and 10. The Holy Spirit then is the identifier of God's children, isn't he? Now I'll say it again. The Holy Spirit is the identifier of God's children, which means this. If you have the Holy Spirit of God living in you, then you are identified as being a child of God. The Holy Spirit is the identifier of the children of God. But can I say this also? Here's comfort for us tonight. The Holy Spirit is also the securer of God's children as well. See, you're not only identified by the fact that the Holy Spirit lives within you, but you also have the security of, and a promise that God gives to us of the fact that we are eternally secure because of the permanent indwelling of the Holy Spirit of God, something he is not going to take away. He even talks about the Holy Spirit and the fact that we've been sealed with the Holy Spirit of God, a seal that cannot be broken. He talks to us about how the Holy Spirit of God is the earnest of our salvation, which means that it's the, we would use the word down payment. It's the down payment of a, a, a confidence and a security we have of the fact that he is going to permanently indwell us and we're eternally secure until we get to heaven. Oh, wow, what a great truth because we've been placed into the family of God. And Peter says, who am I to argue that? The last thought tonight is from verse number 18. We saw the power. We saw the promise. We saw the placement. But we got to finish tonight by looking at verse number 18. We got to notice the praise. Look at the praise. Look at what the Bible says in verse number 18. When they heard these things, they held their peace. Oh, the Bible tells us now there's... Now, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. What did we say at the start of this passage? Peter gets back to the city of Jerusalem, and what did the Bible say they were doing? They were contending with him. What was the word we used? They were arguing with him. Now the Bible says because of overwhelming evidence. Now, it's not overwhelming evidence because of anything Peter's done. It's overwhelming evidence because of what he told them God did. It's not about what I did. 
It's about what God has done. And the Bible says they went from arguing to holding their peace, and then notice what they do next. Next three words. And glorified God. Oh, Peter lets them know about the power, and he lets them know about the promise, and he lets them know about the placement into the family of God, and who am I to argue that? And then the Bible tells us they begin to praise God. They glorify God. Notice this saying, Then hath God also to the Gentiles granted repentance unto life. Peter, you've given us the assurance of the fact that God has given the gospel to the Gentiles as well. They've repented unto life. Wow, what a great truth there. That the gospel is open to the Jews, it's open to the Gentiles, it's open to everyone. I know it's been a challenge we've been giving several Sunday nights because of the way the passages flow here in Acts chapter 10 and Acts chapter number 11. But as a church here, as Victory Baptist Church, we believe that that is true for our church today. The gospel is open to everyone. That means that anyone, no matter where they come from, no matter what their race is, no matter what their color is, they'd be able to come into our services and hear the gospel. And not only that, but we know that they would have the opportunity to trust Christ as Savior. Man, that, 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 that makes us excited, doesn't it? And then that's why we support missionaries. Because there are missionaries in Africa. And there are missionaries in Argentina. And there are missionaries in Chile and all over that we support that are sharing the gospel with their people so that they can come to know Christ as well because God's no respecter of persons. The gospel's open for everyone. And may we have that heart as God's people. Notice again these sections that we broke this passage down tonight. The vision that he saw and the voice that he heard. And then that request that the men gave. The prompting of the Holy Spirit. And then that angel that gave direction. And then we saw the power of God. The promise the placement of God into the family of God, and then the praise of God because of the fact that the gospel is open to all who will hear and all who will believe. I trust that as we've gone through Acts 10 and now moved into Acts chapter number 11, that God has encouraged your heart. And I guess most importantly tonight, if there's someone here tonight that's never trusted Christ as Savior, the gospel message is open for you. Anyone who will believe, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's open to all. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. If you don't know Christ tonight, come to know him. But if you do, let's rejoice in knowing that we have an opportunity to give the message to those that are lost around us. Let's be a light in the area that God has placed us. We're going to run into various people this week, aren't we? God's going to give us opportunities. Remember what Jabez prayed. We talked about it this morning. Jabez prayed for open doors, didn't he? Jabez prayed for his coast to enlarge. He said, I want opportunities, God. I want, to allow, I want you to allow me to do great and mighty things. I want, to, I want to ask you, God, to enlarge my sphere or circle of influence so that I can be a testimony to many, many, many people. And may God use us in that way to be a testimony to many, to be, to be able to let our light shine as we go into our places this week and be used to give the gospel to others that need it. Father, I thank you so much for the challenge of Scripture tonight. And Lord, I pray that as we've listened to the Word of God, that you've spoken to our hearts tonight. And Lord, we would just do business with you for a few moments here before we go.